three, two, one. All right, here we go. Another edition of Inside Fitness Radio. I am your host, Terry Frendo, and today's guest is a very special one, Aaron Singerman from Redcon One. Aaron, how's it going? Great, great. Thank you so much, Terry, for having me on the show. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Until we have uh, Costa on, who's going to be co-hosting. He's a, a supplement guy. Costa, how's Thanks, it going? Terry. I'm good. I'm good. You know, ready to go. It's a big show today. I like your virtual background there. You put the logo up. Yeah, you know, representing. He did have a Redcon uh, One logo up though earlier, Aaron. I did. Okay, good, good. good. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, Aaron, I, I uh, appreciate the time and you making the time to come on here and all that, and uh, being in the industry as long as you know, both of us have. I've got a lot of questions for you, and I kind of want to start off with like you know where you came from. You know what I mean, and and uh, how it all started for you in the beginning, the early days. Sure. Well, I uh, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, I am 40 years old now. So I started getting interested in sports supplement, uh, sports supplements in general. I was 13. Uh, I was 13. And, and uh, instead of going to uh, going home after school, I would have them drop me off at uh, the gym, French Riviera Spa, right by my house, about a mile. And I'd work out for an hour and a half, two hours, try to figure out what to do. And then when I was done, I'd walk home. And since then, you know, I thought the magic you know, stuff was the metrics packets. You know, back then it was, it wasn't even the metrics, it was the metamycin and you would mix them together yourself. Um, and, uh, I figured that was going to be the secrets that would get me huge and ripped. And, um, and so I really was fascinated with sports supplements from, from that age on. And, uh, I, uh, my, my early years of my life was misspent, I would say, uh, on drugs. I was very lost for, um, a large majority of my, uh, my life up until my later twenties. Really? And, um, uh, and so I, I, I literally spent, you know, about, about seven years addicted to heroin and, uh, and cocaine and, and just a mess. And when I finally was able to get out of that life, uh, I thought to myself, what is, what is it that I'm passionate about? What do I love? And I could only come up with one thing. It was bodybuilding. And yeah. uh, obviously, genetics plays a very large role in bodybuilding. Yeah. And uh, by nature, I'm a tall, skinny Jewish kid. And uh, genetics were not on my side, not to say the least. So uh, instead of looking at uh, and being inspired by Dorian Yates and Ronnie Coleman and, and those guys, I was inspired by Joe Weider, Ben Weider, uh, Steve Blackman at the time, Steve Blackman still, um, and uh, guys like Peter McGuff and every, a lot of other people that were important to me because I was looking at it from uh, what can I do in bodybuilding where I don't need great genetics, you know? And so uh, I basically went after that full force. I spent every day, all day long, that I wasn't working to pay the bills as a personal trainer, trying to figure out how to break into the sports uh, industry, the, the bodybuilding and fitness industry specifically. Yeah. And uh, I got my first real break. And I had sent in, I would write articles and I would send them into Robert Kennedy, send them to Peter McGuff, to, to Joe Eater, um, to uh, all the magazines, uh, you know, everybody. And, uh, and, and they would not run them. <laughs> I would do it for free. And they would probably, I don't know where these all went, but they would toss them out or whatever. But I just, just kept trying and trying. I was posting on bulletin boards um, that were really popular back in the day using my real name. And, yeah. uh, and that, that sounds like not that crazy to people these days with Facebook. But at the time, everybody used, you know, a nickname, a handle, Swolgun69 or whatever. Yeah. And I would post and post and post trying to get attention. And finally, one day... I got uh, one of the podcasts where I would, um, I would email. So Dan Solomon did one, Larry Pepe did one, and all these people, I would email them after the show trying to get them to pay attention, basically. And so one of the ones that I loved was called Superhuman Radio, and it still exists. Carl yeah. Lenore is, is the host. 
And instead of giving him a compliment, which is usually the way that I would go, trying to make him like me, I gave him a critique. And uh, I told him that uh, I couldn't believe he was advertising this, this thing that I thought was bullshit. And, and that actually got him to write me back. And we ended up getting on a phone call. <clears throat> and that phone call led to him giving me a chance to interview him for the first time on his own show. So he'd never been interviewed. At the time, he had done like three or 400 episodes and never really spoke about himself. So I interviewed him and I prepared for that interview like it was like the, the, it was the opportunity of a lifetime. And I did such a good job. And he said, you, know, you have a great radio voice. Have you ever done this before? Do you have experience? And I said, no. He goes, well, do you want to do another show? Do you want to, is you interested in doing one? So we did a show called Off Topic Radio. We did three hour, 300 hours of radio together. And that opportunity led me to work for Dave Palumbo at RX Muscle. And I worked for Dave and went from being, you know, kind of like just one of the guys that he worked with, but really hosting that show on his site. But one of the guys worked with him to eventually place, replacing John Romano when he uh, left the industry. Yeah. And then eventually I became the editor-in-chief of the site, uh, working with Dave. And, uh, and then when I left that, all in that period of time, I started focusing on uh, what else could be done. How else could I generate revenue and money? Because my wife uh, got pregnant. And I realized uh, that the money that I was making with Dave, while it was great, and I was able to pay the bills, and uh, I never imagined being able to follow my passion and make money. I realized that it's not going to be enough money to support a growing family. And so that was really the foray into trying to figure out what else could I do in bodybuilding and fitness to make money. And, uh, and I loved supplements. So it was a natural evolution. And I worked for a company called Iron Mag Labs as their yeah. marketing director. And, and then I started Blackstone Labs yeah. uh, with my best friend at the time, PJ Braun. Yeah. And along the way, I started a whole bunch of other companies. Uh, I did... Uh, Dana and Rob with uh, Dana and Rob Bailey. We did uh, Run Everything Labs with Kai Green. I did Dynamic Muscle with CT Fletcher. I did one and I uh, did Prime Nutrition. And it all kind of led up to all of the, the lessons and successes led up to Red Cloud One. We were very honest. Eric Hart, who I know you know also, Terry, um, yeah. started with me at Blackstone and then switched over when we started Red Cloud One. And, uh, and we were honest. He had 13 years experience at Glambia and, and BSN. And I had all this experience from the different companies in Blackstone. We said, okay, what do we know didn't work? What do we want to do differently? We were honest about those failures. And then we also knew what succeeded. And we really scaled the things that we knew were going to work or that worked before. And uh, we put all that into starting Redcon One, which is now the fastest growing sports element company in history. Yeah, no, it's it's truly amazing. You know, Aaron, I, I deal with a lot of different sports brands. I mean, not just here in Canada, but all over the world. And I've been doing this for almost 20 or over 20 years. And in currently in the last couple of years, there's, there's two brands that people always try to compare themselves to or bring up. And I'll tell you, obviously, one of them is Ghost and the other one is Redcon One. And, and I get this question all the time. And there's some legacy brands out there who are trying to copy or trying to, you know, maybe not copy, but mimic what you're doing. Sure. What, what do you think makes you so different than all the other brands that have been around? Sure. I think there's a few major things. Uh, I think number one, uh, I think that when Eric and I started Redcon One, uh, we we wanted to be a real brand, iconic, long-lasting brand. And so we sat down and came up with a brand book and decided who we wanted to be, what was our message, who was our who we're going to uh, try to market towards, uh, and uh, and we also knew we wanted to be purpose-driven. But it didn't, couldn't just be some other bullshit where we have some cool-looking products and try to you know, make money, it needed to be meaningful and purpose-driven. So that's why we went um, in the direction of the military. So yeah. um, for, for me and for Eric too, uh, my grandfather fought World War II, both grandfathers fought World War II. 
And uh, well, sorry, one Korea, one World War II. And I grew up as a kid looking at his uniform uh, and thinking about that one day I would be doing the same thing. And, you know, he fought, uh, he fought in Normandy on the beach in Normandy. And he was uh, oh, wow. one of the only Jewish officers to uh, fight in Normandy and also liberate the, um, um, all of the, uh, you know, he was at Auschwitz and Dachau. And so he actually you know, liberated sure. those camps. So You're a history guy, eh? Yeah, I'm a history guy for sure. Yeah, and so um, yeah. I loved I loved that. And um, I always thought that would be me. Unfortunately, I, instead of serving my country, I ended up doing drugs for years. Um, so it's something that I always respected. And right when Red Cohen started, I made friends with and met two Navy SEALs, uh, Ryan Bates and Brandon Cruz. And I thought, man, these guys are super cool. They uh, are charismatic. They're in great shape. And at this point in time, even today with all the craziness that's going on these days, I think that this is a time where everybody, whether you're left or right, can at least respect the dedication of people like these two, these two gentlemen. So uh, we took all that and, and created something that's truly unique. So when people like Red Con One, they may, they, may, uh, they may not love this supplement or this product. Uh, we're not a brand, we're a brand, not a uh, product centric or ingredient centric company. We have a whole real legit brand. And I always wanted when you see the Red Taiwan or see the Shield or Chevron or the RC1, that it would be something easily recognizable. And uh, that's why having a name Red Taiwan being meaningful, it means the highest state of military preparedness. So it applies to everybody who doesn't want to be at the highest state of readiness. Soccer mom, a Navy SEAL, Mr. Olympia, they all want to be at the highest state of readiness. So we have a brand that could be widely appreciated. And, uh, and not like other brands that I've been associated with before, where it's very niche, right? And, and it really wouldn't have had the chance to work. Sold in all four operating bases, exchanges all over, the, all over the world in 88 countries and, you know, 50,000 plus stores. Aaron, but why? What's the, what's the difference? I mean, what's the difference between what you're doing and some of the other guys that have been around? Because you're, you know, eating some of their lunches, right? I, I would imagine, right? I think, well, I mean, to, to distill it down into very simple terms, it's the market. Marketing is the reason why. So the products are great, right? But there are other people with great products too. So of course, yeah. the, the marketing, the things that we do in the brand building um, is I think what makes Redcon One stand out from the look and feel of the product, you know, the, the label and everything from that all yeah. the way to who were, what athletes were uh, bringing on board, how we're showing the athletes, the amount of content that we do on a daily basis, the amount of, uh, amount of, what people see, you know, I think a lot of it too is the fact that uh, we have so many brand ambassadors in our, in our operator program and so many t-shirts that are being worn all over the world. So a lot of it has been uh, a buildup, but all the buildup, the drive and the demand is built with the marketing, right? Yeah. I, I, I sorry, go ahead, Costa. Yeah. A couple of questions. You touched on some of your ambassadors and your athletes. Like it's a really impressive lineup. Uh, a couple of them that I'm really big fans of just want to know if you have any, personal uh, stories about them. Like one of them being obviously Braun Strowman. He's a big beast. Um, and the other one was a really big uh, fan of, uh, unfortunately lost tragically, Luke Sandow. Uh, mm -hmm. Just wonder if you have any like stories you can tell about them, anything to talk about. Sure. Absolutely. So Adam Scherer is Braun, right? Um, uh, he is a fan of the brand. And so he, uh, he has been getting products. We've been sending him products. He was buying products and has been a fan of the brand since almost the very beginning. And so uh, the fact he's come to visit back uh, years ago, he came to visit. Um, and uh, I have never been like, a, back in the 80s, I was a wrestling fan, maybe early 90s. But once the guys stopped being all jacked, 
I lost a lot of interest in wrestling. Um, but I knew he was a big deal. And when he came and visited, he was so nice and everything. And, uh, so all of that kind of led up into, uh, about, uh, six months ago or something. He, uh, he was uh, reaching out for products or something, and it kind of popped up in my head. You know, we need somebody new. I would love to get involved on a deeper level with somebody that I already like, that it was very popular. He hadn't become the WWE champion yet, but he was getting more attention and his following was big. And he's one of the very rare wrestlers that owns his own likeness. So he owns his own social media. Very so, that's, why that's why it'll say Adam Shear instead of Braun Strowman. So he can, all that social media, he, he controls it. Whereas the WWE, most of them, uh, they are not able to do what they, they want on their part. name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so um, I reached out to him, and uh, and we were able to make a deal. And he's been fantastic. He's obviously great in front of the camera. He lives in Orlando, and because of the coronavirus, he's available all the time. He's going to be here uh, tomorrow morning, and he'll be here all weekend. We have a event at the gym, so he's always available. He wants to do content. He has fun. He likes a lot of people on the team, and we, we've uh, you know he's. He's been great. He's only been with us officially for three months, but he's been fantastic. Uh, and uh, in terms of funny stories, I mean, he can eat a lot. Uh, and uh, he doesn't mind having a few drinks either. So uh, we went out to restaurants. He's put down some, some serious uh, steaks. Uh, but then Luke, on the other side, you know, very sad, very, very sad story. Luke was, uh, man, he had such a great personality. He was such a hard worker. I mean, uh, you know, so one thing I've found with all the athletes we've had is um, just because they have they act one way on social media or they act one way on camera doesn't mean that's that's how they're anything like at all in person. Um, even sometimes it's not even how they look in person. Um, so he he Luke was as genuine as you could possibly imagine. So the Luke that you watch on a YouTube video is exactly how he was in person. Uh, he stayed before the Arnold. He stayed here three weeks with uh, with James Hollinshead. And, uh, man, he was such a, a joy to be around. He was in the office all the time. I saw him at the gym every night and we spent a lot of time with him. Everybody here spent a lot of time with him to find out that, uh, that, you know, how it all ended for him, that he, that he took his own life, uh, was so, uh, incongruous, like doesn't, it literally does not fit with the person that we met. And then I know, so it's very hard to get my head around it. Uh, I feel very sad. We were able to raise a bunch of money for his, for his family. Feel very sad for his family. I'm not somebody, even though I, I mentioned heroin addiction and all this other bad stuff that's happened in my life, I'm not somebody that suffers from depression. So it's hard for me to, to wrap my head around all of it. But I do know just because somebody is smiling and laughing doesn't mean you understand what's going on with them. And, and this really, uh, this really, you know, made me fully grasp that because I would have loved for him to tell me he wasn't doing good. I would love to have had him talk to me. I would wish that I would have asked him. Um, and I just didn't know to ask, you know, if somebody's on outwards is so positive and fun to be around and laughing and joking. It's very difficult to know you should be asking them, Hey, or how are you, how are you doing mentally? How are you really doing? You know, it just, but yeah, yeah it was a, sad, very sad. Um, very, very sad. Oh. Yeah. And how many athletes do you guys have uh, now? Currently, we have 55 paid athletes, um, and then in our ambassador program, we have a little over 10,000 uh, tier operators, which are uh, non-paid ambassadors. So it's like micro influencers. It could be somebody who literally just influencing their their high school uh, friends and their work friends, or it could be somebody who's a pro bodybuilder who wants to be part of the program and work their way up to becoming an elite athlete that gets a salary. We've had six tier operators become elite athletes, and 
and get salaries. That's that's a that's a lot of numbers. And I think you know, talking about some of the legacy brands and stuff. I mean, in in, in the industry, I mean, the supplements are are I'm not gonna say they're all the same because obviously different products, different flavors. But I mean, obviously, proteins and BCAs have similar ingredients bought from the same people. Um, I guess it comes down to uh, the flavors. One thing I noticed with you guys is that you're very you, like you have exclusive flavors for Canada, like. Yeah. Being an American, obviously, you guys do a lot of business down there, but then international markets. I mean, I saw that because in a very short period of time, yes, you were in the industry, but I mean, Redcon 1 really went from like 0 to 60. Like I've seen brands grow and I was there when Muscle Tech started. I mean, I've yeah. seen a lot of brands go, but they didn't go that fast. I mean, definitely not that fast. Um, yeah, it's, so, been, it's been unbelievable. So, Marky, one thing that I I do remember, and it was being around as long as I have, I walked into the Arnold Classic years ago, maybe 2015 or side on. Was it was quite some time ago, and I saw this big banner, <laughs> big photo of you and, and your old partner. And, and I and oh, yeah. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> at this time, see, I kind of came from that generation. I used to work for Robert Kennedy and you know Gino and Johnny Fitness and those guys in the bodybuilding world, and it was kind of like humble. I mean, they're this humble. But it seemed like you were like, fuck this. You're like, I'm going to fucking do, like, I'm just going to be this guy. Fuck, if you like it or you don't like it. Because I remember looking going, who are these fucking guys? Like, why? What, what's <laughs> going on here? How is this, you know, like selling supplements? And what, what made you do that? Like, was that, did you get flack from people? Am I the only guy who thought this? Um, no. So uh, what you're talking about, yeah, was, I think it was the, the 2015 Olympia. Um, so what, what happened, the real story behind it is, is that they had, um, I don't know if I'm getting in trouble saying it, but at this point, screw it, right? Uh, so uh, AMI uh, had sold this property, right? On the front of the, uh, the Expo Hall, yeah. the Las Vegas Expo Hall. And so uh, they, uh, at the time we were doing advertising with them, you know, to some degree, maybe two pages a month or something, not, not huge. We we're doing some, yeah. enough that they came. And we had a big booth also. We had a really nice booth at that show. So they came to me and said, hey, we cannot sell this space. So we got all Max. We had somebody else. And we can't have an empty space. It won't work. Yeah. Um, will you buy the space? And so they offered it for $60,000. And I said, you guys are crazy. <laughs> absolutely not. I was like, absolutely not. No way. And uh, so uh, they came back around about a month before. And they're like, okay, what about $30,000? And I was like, no way. You're insane. And uh, so they came back a week later. And they said 15. And I told them 10. 10 and we'll do it. And so they said, okay, 10. And uh, so like we wanted to make the biggest impact with that 10,000, right? Uh, yeah, you definitely made impact. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in obviously in marketing and, and, and memories. I mean, there's so many people driving, trying to drive messages home. And there's people who are just out there. And here's the thing, like, do you have any tips for anyone on social media? I mean, uh, sure. I want to say to these guys, because you certainly sure. do it differently. Well, so for, for that, right, uh, just to reverse back to that, you know, we made a big statement and we had a lot of awareness come from that. We had, believe it or not, it was very profitable because we had international distributors come up to the booth and be like, who the hell are you guys? What's, what's this about? You know. Yeah. But then on the flip side, there is something to be said. You said about getting flack. I think that if I look back at that, I would never do it now uh, because you, get, you grow up, you get older, you get more experience. We did create a lot of negative feelings from some people. There, there was certainly a, a large hater contingent that still fuck, fuck these guys. Who are these guys to put themselves standing in a Ferrari right there? And uh, and they yeah. couldn't get around that. And I don't I don't know if it did if it did us a disservice in the long run. So now thinking about Aaron now, I don't think that I would do the same thing. I would still do something cool for ten thousand bucks. I'd still take the opportunity, but I don't think that uh, that 
that in my opinion, that kind of uh, lifestyle stuff on your social media. So showing private jet, you in front of driving a Lamborghini, so like this, if, if that's your life and it's part of your life, you probably don't need to put it in people's face, right? Yeah, um, whether that's so, your lifestyle or it's not. And I kind of think there's a difference now with like YouTube or even like I do watch your social media and, and you put like sometimes a, a ton of videos and I see all the little dots. So I'm like, okay, you know what? Am I actually going to hang in there? And I, I think you're smart because you integrate your life. There's your kids, there's your wife, there's your office, your really cool office. And then it's like, oh, here's a promo. Here's a plug. We're doing this. We're doing that. And I do tell people, I think that's genius because like I, I do, I have a magazine and it's easy for me to kind of plug things. But I mean, I find sometimes we get in the same routine. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's, just, that's just human nature. I mean, we all get up to kind of the same thing. So it's like when you get on social media, it gets a little bit monotonous. And then I think you obviously spice it up and you keep it interesting for people to follow you. Uh, I think, you know, like your office, let's talk about this office. Uh, <laughs> this is, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm fascinated with it because, you know, I, I think... I've been to a lot of different sports nutrition law supplement companies buildings. And I remember yeah. back in the day going to Physogen. And if you remember Physogen and those guys yeah. back at the time, they were making a lot of money. They're pretty big. And I walked in, it was somewhere in Florida or wherever it was like a little unit. It wasn't anything too impressive. They're making lots of money. And then you've got companies like BSN, obviously who had like, you know, office towers and muscle mm -hmm. tires down the street for me. BSN is right, right next door. Yeah. Was oh, you're close to BSN. Yeah. I mean, that's walking distance. Beautiful area. I'm literally actually walking distance from Iovate, funny enough. Oh, cool. Yeah. They, they have a nice office, right? Oh, they have a beautiful tower. I mean, it's their own building. And I mean, there's not too many companies that actually even have their own building. They just take, you know, a unit somewhere and all that. And so, yeah, tell us uh, how big is your space? Yeah. So I am I have, have one of those rare ones that have their own building. And uh, so the building is 80,000 square feet and it's wow. three stories. Um, and, um, the warehouse portion is uh, 50,000 square feet of uh, 32 foot clear warehouse space. And, um, it can hold, uh, 8,000 pallet racks. So it's, it's really racked out well and well thought out. And then we have, uh, on the third floor where I'm at now, it took a while to, to build it all out and move up here. Uh, it's been a process. And the only reason I got this place, it's an interesting story. So we don't need this much space. So I have the whole second floor is going to be, uh, for content. So we're, we're got a huge uh, green screen wall and infinity walls and track for a moving camera. And like, I mean, it's 10,000 square foot of uh, basically content production space, live studio space. So that is uh, because we just don't, we wouldn't otherwise need it. And to be honest, we thought about renting it out after really considering that we decided that it, it, it would almost be more trouble than it's worth. So the only reason we got this space, such a funny, crazy story, this, all that was available here when we went was one part of the warehouse, which was uh, 30,000 square foot and the ceilings are very high. Yeah. So when I saw it, that was all that was on the internet for rent. And uh, I got a tour with the, the owner's girlfriend. The owner is 94 and the girlfriend is young girlfriend. She's 82. 82. Hmm. And, um, and so she'd given, she'd given us a tour of the warehouse and me and the warehouse was beautiful. It was perfect. Um, and we, we had just come to the conclusion that we wouldn't be able to have our office in the same place as the warehouse. So when I walked around, I was so impressed with the warehouse. Uh, even though my realtor was like, stop being, you know, cause I'm like, oh my God, oh, this is so great. Cause he was trying to, you know, you want to have your game face on. Yeah. yeah, but I couldn't, I couldn't help it. And so she was like, she's like, oh, I'm so happy you're excited. She's like, would you, would you want any, uh, any other space? And so uh, I was like, well, there, is there more space? And she goes, yeah, well, we have the office downstairs. 
It was 4,000 square feet. And I'm like, this is awesome. I'm like, yeah, I'll take this too. And she goes, okay, well, what about the other side? And I was like, well, is that empty? And she goes, no, there's somebody in there, but they haven't paid rent in months. And we just haven't gotten around to evicting them because my husband and I are, are just don't want the trouble. I was like, but if you'll take it, then you can have that space too. And I was like, okay. And she's like, in that space, there's 10,000 square feet of additional warehouse. Do you want that? I'm like, okay, maybe. And then, uh, and so when I said that, she's like, let me show you the top two floors. She's like, there's a guy up there that's a call center guy and he's doing medical fraud and I'd like to get rid of him. And so we went up to the second floor and she kind of like busted in their office and uh, it was a call center. And the guy who was, I guess, running the floor said, everyone turned down their monitors. And then they all flipped the monitors face down and like everybody was staring at us. And I was like, holy shit, they really are doing medical fraud in here. And, uh, and they tried to, the manager tried to run us out. And she's like, no, I own the building. I'm looking around. And so she gave me the tour of the second floor. And uh, so when I left, I told my realtor, offer her the same amount per square foot as we're paying for the warehouse for the whole place. Tell her she can kick everybody out. I'll commit to a long-term lease and I'll yeah. take the whole space for the same price that I'm paying for the warehouse, which is a ridiculously, for Boca, I mean, the price I'm paying is obscenely low. And so uh, she agreed and I couldn't believe it. And uh, until we actually signed the lease, and I got the key. I felt like uh, there was going to be some like other other thing. I was literally about to drop on my head. And I thought there's no chance that we're going to get this building for this price. So it's really cool. it, it, it was fortuitous. It was like meant to happen. No, it's, it's really cool. I mean, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose too, right? In business. And let's talk about some of the, the situations you may have been where it was like not the best. And, and uh, sure. what kind of stands out to you in, in business? What kind of hurt you? Um, the, it's a, the, the easy one is that, you know, uh, at Blackstone Labs, you know, we had built me and my best friend and built yeah. this company. It was the 27th on the Inc. 500, number one in health for the year. So it's the 27th fastest growing privately owned company. Um, things were really going great business-wise and we were on a really upward trajectory. And then we had a huge partnership dispute where that, I mean, essentially the only thing I can compare it to, and thank God, you know, I've never experienced this, but the only thing I can imagine would be like losing a child. And I spent five years of my life, um, like literally all day, every day, you know, um, more than I should have honestly too, in, in terms of like, you know, being away from my children and my wife to make sure that this company would be a huge success. And it was. And so for me to have this partnership dispute um, and this, this, all this stuff happened suddenly, um, it was, uh, it was very, at the time, it seemed terrible. But in, in reality, if it wasn't for the partnership dispute, if it wasn't for the whole, that blow up of that relationship, Red Cumberland would never have been started. And instead of having a partner that I couldn't seem to get along with and an investor that I didn't like either, now I own all the company, Earhart. Uh, got sweat equity and he owns part of a little, a small part of the company because he's been such a great and valuable asset to me, but I don't have a partner. Um, and the ability to have such a great company with such an awesome team and everything else we talked about where I don't have somebody that I don't like all the time around me. Uh, it's, I mean, I can't imagine you know, anything better. I think too, I mean, using social media, the way you have, obviously you have to live with, like you put things out there. I mean, it's going to be good and bad, right? Because I don't put, listen, my personal life, you're not going to find too much of anything out there on social media. If I put anything, any videos, it's kind of very, you know, small. And I guess you understand that. And I, I, like I said to you before, I thought, wow, these guys are a little bit out there. And this is kind of like, you know, a little bit douchey in my opinion. I thought when you started with it, but I also go, listen, I'm, I'm a little bit older. Well, not that much older than you, but but I, I've been around the block where I get bodybuilding. People have to understand the bodybuilders. It's all about you. 
if you're not pushing yourself, if you're not saying you're the fucking best, who else is going to say it? You know what I mean? Like, and you have to have this confidence. I mean, bodybuilders are kind of, some of them can be fragile mentally. I mean, I think too. And that's why. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, we're in this industry where a lot of it was driven by bodybuilding in the early days, but really at the end of the day, how many actual real bodybuilders ended up owning a supplement company successfully? Right. Not, not, not many, not many at all. Right. You know, then we come along and I think you have to kind of merge that business thing. And so like I said, in your case, you took something, you were a little bit very different, you know, and you were kind of rode the wave. And then obviously when it comes to marketing, you, you, you took it up a, a notch. And I, I tell people, I'm like, just do your own thing because you're not Aaron Singerman. You're not doing what he does. You know what I mean? So how can you mimic that? You know, that's, it's, you could copy the products and you could try and copy. I'm sure you've had a lot of knockoff brands. Oh, sure. Probably try and knock off names and what you do and all this stuff. So, I mean, and you know, Terry, that doesn't, that doesn't make any difference either. Cause it's like, you're just because it's a total war, the ingredients are right there on the back. I mean, you, you can literally look on the back and copy it word for word, have every ingredient and stand them out, but it won't be total war. It's like um, my, my wife, if I bring her home a purse and yeah. it says Chanel on it, she's going to love it way more than if it's a purse I bought at Target, right? Even if they look the same. Yeah. And uh, ultimately that's because Chanel is a big brand that has value attached to it. And that's the same thing that we've been able to do here. So um, I'm kind of curious, what do you think about the Olympia this year? Now, obviously with COVID, it's destroyed a lot of shows. And I mean, you were, you were at the Arnold yeah. uh, right before, I guess, because everything closed right after that. Actually, how was that? Let's talk about that first. How was that? Weird. <laughs> really, really weird. Um, so yeah, the Arnold Expo had been closed. And uh, I was sponsoring the webcast uh, for, and as I had the last few years. And uh, I had decided after the last webcast that, that I didn't really like doing it anymore. Um, not that I didn't like being a sponsor, but I personally didn't like it. It's a lot more work than people think. <laughs> I thought, you know, I thought that because of my old days with Dave Palumbo and hosting the contest, I figured yeah. I would love it. It would be nostalgic. And, uh, and it actually was a really like pretty arduous, like it was not an easy thing. You're, you're backstage, you need to be on. You're there for the entire show from the beginning till the last minute at the end. Then you do wrap ups and everything else. So I, I wasn't going to do it, but then, um, when I found out everything that was going on and that they weren't going to allow uh, people to watch the show or be at the expo, I determined that, that now it's even more important um, webcast because everybody is going to be watching the webcast and it brought additional attention. So I decided to go myself uh, and do it myself with, uh, with Luke and Bob Ciccarello and, uh, and going and being at the Arnold during the time of the Arnold where there's no fans there uh, was really, really weird. You know, we walked through the expo hall and the beginning of the setup had already been done for a while. The booth spaces were dedicated. And you walk around this empty hall that has like the dedicated spots. And then you walk the streets of Columbus and, uh, and nobody's there really, you know, going to the actual prejudging. I was uh, one of, I don't know, maybe a hundred people watching the Arnold prejudging, yeah. um, which is so weird yeah. compared to, you know, what with Arnold's like, it's pandemonium. I couldn't imagine being in Columbus with very weird. Barely anyone, right? I mean, very uh, weird. And like for the for the for the night show, there's probably about 150, maybe or so people. And you know, Arnold's up there on stage talking and addressing this very very small group of people. And uh, it was it was very it was very very surreal, very uh, very weird. I'm extremely happy that I went uh, because it is a monumental uh, show. I mean, it is it was literally right before all the craziness broke out. And to be honest with you, being there. Uh, everybody was like, these guys are crazy. Like, I cannot believe this got shut down. It's such bullshit. There's nothing even happening. Nobody's, you know, there's like, at the time there was like, I want to say there was 10 cases or something in all of Ohio. 
And like, you're shutting down this over 10 gate. I mean, this is nothing. And, uh, but Arnold knew Arnold wasn't shaking anybody's hands. When he came up to do the interview, he was staying away from everybody. Like he, he probably got the heads up, uh, but he was, he was taking it seriously for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm really glad I went. And obviously I love Arnold. I love the warmers and, and all the team they have over there. So I'll be back again next year and hopefully we'll be back um, to normal where we'll be able to be. Uh, that's going to be, I mean, that's going to be really cool. You know, someone you know, like yourself, you start off in the, in the, from the bottom really. Right. Cause you work, we work with Dave and you were like covering this stuff and all that. And then to be on, on there and, and being talking to Arnold and, and doing working, you know, the, the, I think that's pretty amazing. And, and in a short period of time, really, I mean, it's not like it's been a long time that you've been you know, in the supplement. Oh, it's, uh, all that kind of stuff to me. I, I, I tried like what you just said, I try to, I try to take a step back, you know, and think about things like that. Cause sometimes it gets lost on me because I'm so focused on the future and what I want to achieve, that I don't take enough time to step back and be like, how the hell did I get here? Like, how did this happen? Because right. I was, I was Dave Palumbo's lackey, literally. Well, you got to start your game right? Yeah, no, you got to yeah. start somewhere. I mean, I worked for Robert Kennedy for, I was his right-hand guy. I was 22 to almost 30 and uh, I would do whatever Bob wanted me to do. I mean, I don't know. Like, was just, I would, that was it. Like, I think if you're into it, I, I wasn't really into bodybuilding per se. I, I liked it, but I certainly was into the business and was interesting. And then I think if you're, a, I think if you kind of have that like journalistic ability, if you're interested in things, if you're interested in history yeah. and how things work, you're going to be faceted and, and you know, learning how people uh, do things, right? So what do you think is going to happen with the Olympia? So I'm, uh, I'm friends with Dan Solomon. I've been for, he's like a family friend. I've known Dan for yeah. well over a decade and you know, he lives close by. And, you know, uh, I've always been part of everything he's been doing from digital muscle to stuff in the, in the past. And, and uh, so I'm very happy that Dan took, o- took over Olympia. I thought Robin Chang was a terrible, terrible promoter. Maybe the worst of all time in our industry. Um, he was terrible. Um, like he would not promote the actual show that he's promoted. I don't understand. Um, but regardless, he actually put on a good show, but being a promoter is like the wrong title. He should be like the Olympia operator or something. But, um, yeah. but anyway, so I'm happy for Dan. I think that's great for the sport, great for the Olympia. And then I'm also extremely happy that Jake Wood, who's a fan of bodybuilding, yeah. bought the Olympia. I, I feel sad for him that he bought it at, at, at a time that, you know, the time. Yeah. Yeah. He, he thought he bought it at an inopportune time where he probably if he would have bought it right now. He probably could have got it for pennies on the dollar. But um, I'm glad he did because he's somebody who's not just looking at the dollars and cents of the show. And that's, I feel like, the big problem when when uh, it got purchased by AMI and Pecker is it, it became a, a financial thing versus a, a passion and love thing, you know? Well, I've heard, I mean, I, I was always um, on the other side against uh, AMI and these guys when I worked at Muscle Mag and doing my own thing. I was the other side, I just did my own thing. And I heard the tactics. And here's the thing. Let's talk about magazines because a lot, I, I listen, I've been doing this for quite some time. Print certainly is different than it was years ago, but there's a lot of bullshit out there where people say things. It's because, and I'll be quite frank, it's a lot of the fucking guys who run these magazines and do this shit run a lot of old content. They died because they didn't do anything new. They, they, no one worked at doing anything new and you can't fuck around with the readers. The readers will know. You can't sit there and pull Jay Cutler's workout from 10 years ago and say, this is groundbreaking. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I'll say, I mean, I'll toot my, my own horn here at Inside Fitness is that we're always trying to do things that are a little bit different. We have an article going on in the next issue on actual microdosing. You know, we're going to talk about stuff. It's, it's maybe not exactly fitness related, but there's health, there's certain topics. I think magazines have to like adapt to times and, yeah. And you talk about content creation. Here's my opinion. I mean, 
back in the day, you started Muscle Tech, Twin Lab, a lot of these brands, I mean, Cybergenics, and they bought these advertising. It was actually very easy. It wasn't hard. You would go to GNC and say, I'm, I'm going to buy all these ads in Muscle Mag. Oh, okay, you're going to do that? We'll give you a PO. And it was easy. You just deal with one magazine. You kind of had to, and, and back in the day, I had this power position where you're like, oh, the back cover, let's see, ProLab, maybe you, maybe you, because it helped dictate power yeah. in the industry, just like when, you know, BB.com had rankings and all that. Oh, yeah. So I think magazines certainly have changed, but I think there's a lot more work for brands. And when you talk about a whole floor about content, you're not like, before it was marketing people where we had like a, you know, Lee Priest on a whatever bottle doing this stuff. Now you're talking about actually writing everything, videotaping everything. Yeah. And then what people don't really see is probably the master chart of how things link together. Cause you can't just give out free hoodies or something and not have some kind of value or some kind of yeah. you know, payoff. So I think it's, it's, it's remarkable. And I would love to get you on a podcast with a couple of, of your peers in the industry and, and talk a little bit about, marketing specific, you know what I mean? I mean, there's some things that, that people, you know, you could probably just teach them a little bit. And I think you've gotten to that point where um, it's admirable because like I said, it's very, very hard. I, every day there's a new company. You know, people don't realize this. There's, every day, when I started, there was a couple hundred here and there, and now there's probably thousands. So to actually penetrate and get through, you're obviously doing something right. And, you know, kudos to you and, and your team. I know it's not just you, there's a whole bunch of you. Oh yeah, it's not it. just me. I, I will tell you that you know that's the one thing that's really changed over the years. So because we talked about Blackstone, at Blackstone I was the driving force in, in almost every department in terms of like no, I wasn't doing the art and I didn't design the website, but I was overseeing label design. I was overdoing label compliance. I was ordering all the labels. I was ordering all the products. I was handling QuickBooks. I was sending off all the money. I'm literally handling the accounting. I was handling the legal. I did. I mean, I literally did everything. So. Yeah. And not that I didn't have bright people there too, but I was really, really involved in almost every aspect of the business. I mean, all of the accounts, large accounts I dealt with, all the international businesses. Here, I've been really lucky and fortunate to find a lot of really great people. So now when people go, well, you're, or give me the credit, reality, I probably make 1% of the good decision with me. Because I have 125 people here in the marketing department, we have 60 very smart people who are all kicking ass. And now I'm more of a coach. Maybe more, of a, maybe more of a deciding, a deciding factor. So maybe we're all sitting in the room and everybody gives their good idea. And I may be the one who picks the good idea, but the good idea is almost never mind. Yeah, no, I, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Now, is there, you said there's 60 people? Yeah. 60. Yeah. That's a lot of people in marketing. I mean, people have to put this in perspective. I mean, there would be in, in some of these companies, probably 30 or 40 people. I mean, at one point, I even think Nutrix probably had like five or six people in the whole company. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you have six you can't do it that way, right? You can't. So that's the thing is, and that's a good thing for a young uh, entrepreneur or business owners coming up is you have to be honest with yourself. There's no way six people could run a, a company that's, you know, that's anywhere near the size of mine and do it well. Because like, like we just talked about me doing at Blackstone, there's absolutely no way I'm going to do the accounting better than my accounting department. I have uh, with three people in our in-house accounting department. So, you know, or we're dealing with uh, contracts. I'm not aware, but I was reading and doing all the contracts. I was writing contracts for athletes. We have two people, two in-house lawyers. So there's no way to do everything as good as the person that that's their job, especially if I'm building. Yeah. Um, Eric, 
what have you uh, seen, like going back to uh, the marketing, you've been, we've been around probably the same amount of time. I think we're the same age and I used to post on the boards back in the day, get big muscle mayhem, all yeah. that. And With a fake treat- name though, Costa, not a real name. Uh, a few of the fake names. <laughs> <laughs> But what do you like about what's changed in the industry and what don't you like? Like you see guys that maybe back then wouldn't have made it, but you see guys like Nick Strength and Power has hundreds of thousands of, uh, of views and yeah. and makes a full living. And that wouldn't be someone who would have made it that 10 years ago. But if oh. anyone with a camera or a social media account can do it these days, what do you like and what don't you like about what's changed in the industry? Well, I mean, you mentioned Nick. I think one because Nick works, I mean, he's sponsored by Redcon and everything. And I, I think that... um Somebody like Nick, it's awesome that somebody can do that um, because you're right. Back in the day, it, there was no way for me coming into the industry to just do. There was no option to do that. You uh, like you needed to have credibility. You need to have people behind you. You need to have accomplishments. And uh, so you can say that both ways. Somebody like, and I'm not saying Bob Chappelle said anything, but I know we worked together on the Arnold White House before. But let's say it's somebody like Bob Chappelle. He's well, a voice in Olympia. He was a pro bodybuilder. All this. And yet, Nick Strength and Power is far, far, far more popular and better known. So, like the the justice of it doesn't seem like doesn't seem like it weighs out. Here's Bob has all these accomplishments, all this, and yet he's less popular than Nick. Now, in one way, that's fantastic because Nick has an opportunity to to gain market share and, and become a personality. On the other side, you know, and this of course is not about Nick again. Just like it's not Bob didn't say anything about Nick. Um, is that you could say, well, what the hell does he know? How is he able to be the authority figure? He has no credibility. You know, it's like somebody, if I wanted to tell you I'm a great lawyer, but I've never been to law school, you know, that may be true, but like that doesn't really compute. So, so I love that there's, um, you have access and ability to reach all these people. I love that, uh, you know, back when I was a kid to be able to go and interact with the pro bodybuilder, you need to go to their seminar and pay 20 bucks, you know? Yeah. So Mike Matarazzo to meet him, I paid 20 bucks. I waited in line. I listened to him, got to shake his hand, took a picture uh, right. in, 19, in 1996. Um, now anybody can reach out. Now the bad part of that is also anybody can reach out, you know, <laughs> and, and you have people on yeah. the internet that are, that are morons and, and they may be searching you out. You know, we've always had this phenomenon in bodybuilding, the hater fan. So you go to get big, and people will have 10,000 posts and all of their posts are bad. And I always in my mind was like, well, why would, if I hate, like I'm not a sports fan, a traditional sports fan, not that I don't like it, but you will never find me going and posting on a, bull, a bulletin board about football. I don't follow football. I don't care about football. I don't give a shit about any of these guys, right? That's not part of my thinking or nothing, nothing I'm interested in yet. In bodybuilding, you have people that will go to the boards and spend hours and hours of time focusing on something that they seemingly don't like, don't care for, don't like the guys, don't like the sport, think that it's gay, think they're stupid, all this stuff. Yeah. Yet they're on there doing this. And so back in the day, you'd only find those people on Get Big. So when I go to Get Big, I'd be like, well, I'm expecting to see these, these guys who are going to be doing this. But now because of the proliferation of all these social media outlets, there's everywhere you go, you have idiots now. Uh, and uh, talking about politics, talking about religion, talking about race, they don't know shit about any of this, but they're happy to give you their opinion. Um, and then even, even worse, there are people that you never talk to and never interact with are happy to tell you you're wrong when you say your opinion, you know, or tell, say anything they disagree with. I have lots of people that follow me that I'm friends with from years ago or high school friends. And I don't hear anything from them unless I post something that they disagree with. And, uh, and that's when I'll hear, hear something from them. So it's a weird, it's a weird, great, there's a great thing about social media, you're able to reach all these people. It's also terrible because you can be an idiot and be a all thought of as you know an expert or give your opinion to anybody with the same amount of credibility 
I, I think you're you're right there. Sometimes it's people with like the loudest voice, you know, or they try to. But but I, I also do see now people are starting to like tune out, you know, like I said, the bullshitters. You know what I mean? There was there was bread, uh, brands like Shreds, and there was all these things going on. And I'm not even saying whatever they were doing. It's just the way they were marketing it and stuff. It's not it's not transparent. And then right. the people who actually say they're transparent are not being transparent. I mean, it's just there's so many things behind the scenes, you know, and people don't really, I think, realize it. And and now, you know, they're getting, they're hopefully getting in tune with, there is a reason why there's credibility. There are reasons why certain, you know, media sources or certain people, I've got kids, I always ask them, you know, where did you read that? You know, my, my oldest yeah. daughter reads stuff on Snapchat for crying out loud. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's not exactly the New York Times. You know what I mean? And, and I do that with my mother. The my New mother York will. Times the New York Times. Let's get well, it. <laughs> and you have to read. I think nowadays you got to be very careful because there's even like photos you'll get. So like I'll get a video of some like maybe dog, like jacked up dog. I'm like, is this real dog or is this actually Photoshop? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and it looks so real now because when we were younger, we would kind of know it was fake or whatever. I mean, you can never I'll, I'll tell you guys a funny story. When I started at Muscle Mag, I remember walking in and Johnny Fitness was uh, there was they were doing a cover of Arnold and you know I was 22 and they back then it was exacto knives he used to do shit with exacto knives and markers on bodies so there would be like his photo of him and he would like cut it up and actually literally paste it was crazy and I remember seeing 50 dots like 50 things on Arnold's body for this cover I go holy shit what are you telling me that you guys have doctored this much of this photo <laughs> you know and it was Arnold, if you're doctoring Arnold we're all in trouble but it was stuff that, you know what, honestly, it wasn't even stuff where it was more to fuck around with things. You know what I mean? It was like colors and stuff. They did this, that little, you know, Gino was very much you know into it. And it was, it was very interesting to see how it kind of transformed, you know. Um, uh, Aaron, I, I spend quite uh, some time here talking to you. I, I think we could talk all day, especially with the marketing stuff. You know, I, I, like I said, I appreciate the time getting on here and hopefully we can get you back on here. Maybe get Jerry. It'd be good to get juries on here when he's not. Oh yeah, we have to give a shout out. Hold on, we got before we go. Peak yeah. performance. Jerry is a great guy. They uh, carry the Red Hill products in Canada. Have been a really great partner. And I remember when we first started talking, and he told me the estimates he thought he could do in revenue and sales. And I told him you need to do a lot more than that. And uh, and he has, and he has. He is uh, he has went far past what he expected to be able to do, and has been a great partner, and uh, and has been um on the up and up with me the whole time and told me what he can do. He can't do even underestimated. Like I said, we thought he could do. And, and so I appreciate the partnership in sports supplements. Unfortunately, it's not full of only good people. You know, a lot of people in this industry that are not so good and they, they don't do what they say they're going to do or when they say they're going to do it. And uh, he is certainly uh, a Matt plus. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a great uh, partnership there. Obviously, you know, you need the right people in all these different countries. Juries and his team are very committed to, I mean, pushing the brands that they have and, and he's told me it's always been a pleasure working with you guys. You guys are very um, sales focused. You know, you guys want to make things happen. And I think that's that's a key thing, right? I mean, you got to want to make people to make money and create and build. And yeah, yeah shout out to those guys for sure. Uh, last question to uh, your wrestling fan. Uh, your, your biggest, who who is your favorite uh, wrestler? My favorite wrestler, oh, my favorite wrestler now is is Adam Shear, of course, Ron Thurman. No, okay, but all time. Who's your favorite wrestler? Oh, all time. Back in the day. So uh, back in the day, you know, was uh, Bill Goldberg, and because uh, he was a Jewish guy and uh, <laughs> had huge traps, and, uh, and that was the uh, th that sold me. That was so Goldberg. Eh? Costa okay. is a big wrestling fan. He's a huge. Uh, Were you Hogan? 
I'm a Hogan guy, but you know, we've done because Joe does a Bazooka Joe is friends with Goldberg, so we've met him a few times. Great guy, and he's just a beast. Cool. I, I'll tell you what, just for you, um, Aaron, is, is I know you guys do a lot of great work in the community and charity work. Any, uh, what are you guys working on now? Are you raising any money? I know you yeah. guys. Are- yeah. So, yeah, I mentioned in the beginning um, that we're a purpose driven company and uh, we've done so we've basically every month we've given money to uh, um, one or several uh, military based charities. And initially we didn't talk about it. And I always thought, you know, kind of like we were talking about before about being so loud and like, you know, being kind of like douchey and stuff. I always felt like that I didn't want to do that with this company. I wanted to make sure that people got to know who, who I am, who our company is, the beliefs of the company. Yeah. So we didn't make a, um, a big deal about it initially. I felt like uh, I've always heard like, get, you should give in silence because the reason shouldn't be to get attention for giving. And then, um, you know, I was told by somebody smarter than me that, that if you want to generate more money to give, then you need to bring attention to it because people will support the brand in a larger way because they know that they're not just getting cool supplements at a good price, they're actually helping support an important cause. And so as soon as we kind of flipped the switch on that in about 2000, the beginning of 18, things started really ramping up. And so we've made a bigger deal about giving. We've given to, you know, everything from the Navy SEAL Foundation. We donated $70,000 the month before last to the Warrior Health Foundation, which provides uh, hormone replacement therapy, uh, vitamin therapy, and uh, overall wellness to our special forces operators when they get out. Um, A lot of them have sustained brain injury. Um, a traumatic brain injury from sustained combat and, uh, and it affects the ability to produce hormones to so get these alpha male guys who are Delta force or seal team six that have no testosterone and it causes depression, uh, obviously changes their body. And a lot of times it causes drug addiction and suicide as uh, secondary or tertiary uh, effects of, of, of having, you know, brain injury and uh, low hormones. We've done a lot of cool stuff. So one of the things we're doing, uh, right. I'm actually wearing the red kind of foundation shirt. Um, the Red Cohen Foundation Charter, uh, the Red Cohen Foundation is donating to um, the Murph Challenge. And Murph Challenge is going to be officially is gonna be this weekend. It's the 15th anniversary of Operation Red Wings, where uh, Marcus Luttrell was the lone survivor. If you saw the movie with Mark Wahlberg, uh, he, uh, he was uh, rescued. There was a rescue mission called Operation Red Wings, where it was the biggest loss of life at the time of, of uh, Special Forces. It was uh, Night Stalkers and Navy SEALs uh, crashed on the way. And so trying to rescue them and uh, Michael Murphy gave his life and won the medal of uh, honor for, uh, for going uh, above. So he went to the top of the hill to make contact with the cell phone to get help from for his guys. And he gave up his life, chose to give up his life basically by going up there and making a call, knowing that he wasn't going to survive. Um, so every year they do the Murph, um, usually also at uh, Memorial day, but then the same day every year for the last 15 years, they do his favorite workout, which is the Murph. And so we're hosting the official one at the Red Cohen gym. And we got about 70 Navy SEALs flying out. We were going to have Chris Pratt and Mark Wahlberg and a bunch of other major stars. But as you can imagine, in South Florida, the numbers are going up and people are a little more cautious about coming down here. So we're giving $10,000 uh, at the event to the Murph, to the people in the Murph. But we're also going to be uh, raising money by selling shirts there, raising money by everybody who's actually competing in the normal Murph, not the private event, will be donating $30, which will also go to the foundation uh, for his uh, his father, uh, Dan Murphy, who runs the foundation. And uh, all this money is donated to uh, veteran causes. So That's awesome, man. That's that's really, you know, that's really cool. And that, that you know, is something different than what other people are doing in the industry. I mean, good for you and, and supporting. We didn't even talk about the Redcon 1 gym. I mean, 
like I said, we go on forever and, and I'd love to hear, you know, more about that. Maybe so we'll do, we'll do this again, but, uh, I, it's in Boca. Is that where it's located? Yeah. The Red Cone gym is, is about, uh, I would say it's about half a mile from the, uh, from the office, from our building. How and big is it? Uh, what time? How big is it? 18,800 square feet. So it's, uh, it's a public facility. We have uh, a little less than 800 members right now. And, um, it's, uh, it's awesome. man. it's like, as crazy as the building there. is, it's, you, you would, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but the gym is so damn cool. Uh, that I would never ever in a million years spent this much money to make the gym nice. Somebody else, I was a member at the gym and they, yeah. they spent 5 million bucks building out this crazy gym. And then the whole plan was to make it a personal trainer gym only where you have to have a trainer to work out at the gym and, yeah. the, and the business plan just failed uh, basically. Yeah. And uh, they were able, the owner of that gym said, Hey, uh, would you buy it? And I told him no way. And we went back and forth for a while and he ended up giving me the keys to assume the liability of the, of the building. Cause he had two, three years left. Oh. So I got the whole gym uh, for nothing, literally nothing. And then went about buying all the best equipment over the years that I've, uh, the, in the years that I've been interested I in. Saw, yeah, I saw some of the equipment. I, I've been to so many gyms over the years. I've owned a couple of gyms and I saw you uh, listed some, uh, I think yesterday. Um, so it was Italian or European equipment that you have. Yeah. In we have That's a deal like, with that. Yeah, like it's amazing. I, I can't wait to travel again and get down there. I can guarantee okay. you, I will certainly hit you up because I'd love to come in and check it out. I mean, I'd love to give you the grand tour. I get, that would, and then, especially now, since you, you said it, where all the gym is being owning the gym is being kind of a connoisseur of gyms. I can't wait to hear your opinion on it because I, I honestly think that it is one of the better gyms in, on the world, in the world. Uh, now, there's places like Oxygen that I've been to in Kuwait, which are like, you yeah. know, there's nothing like that in America. But in terms of the, the atmosphere, the type of people that are in there, the equipment, uh, I don't think that I can think of any places that I've been, other than obviously, like Gold's Your Best Beach is historic, but like the equipment there in the gym is not like that great. It's it's, well, it has to have a vibe, right? Like vibe. the first time I went to Gold's Gym in Venice, I went with Craig Titus. Oh, you live with him? I didn't know that. That's, a, that's another podcast altogether. Another wow. podcast. He just got out of jail his first time, and I was at Max Muscle, and he wanted to go work. I went to work out. I'm like, I'll go to you know. So, but the vibe at 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 uh, the Mecca was, I mean, great. Then going up to Bev Francis Gym up in New York. I mean, Steve's gym is just like that's probably like one of the most like hardcore. Oh yeah. Like that's a real you know gym, and then the vibe. So I mean, I, I from what I could see, it looks obviously really cool. Looks. Pretty. I mean, it looks like kind of that Florida, Miami, almost, uh, almost like, nightclub. I mean, it looks like a nightclub, honestly. And that, uh, yeah, I, lighting I, is very unique. But uh, I think all the events. I mean, that that's the cool thing is doing all these events, having people come in there. It's like supporting the community. You know what I mean? Like that. That's the one thing we have. Battle arts up, up here in Mississauga. One of my business partners was actually a wrestler. He was on uh, Monday Night Raw and all that WWE. And and while he was on TV, he wanted to open up a wrestling gym. And it's got its own, it's definitely got its own vibe. I mean, it's really cool. It's got, you know, wrestling is a whole nother ball game, uh, which sure. articles, but yeah, I, I appreciate like I said, the time and, and uh, all the best to you and moving forward. Hopefully we'll like said, get juries on here and do another podcast for sure. Be great. All right. That'd be great. Thank awesome. You. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it.